0: Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively.
1: Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale.
0: Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear
1: when the silver screen appears. Stories about. And everything in between
0: so come on and join the fun the curtain opens in three two one
1: hello ashley hello candy we're back for our last episode of July. It's gone so fast. It has. I'm going to be sad to say goodbye to our mission blockbusters. I am too. This is such a great topic. However, we do have a really We're good, going out with a bang. We are. We are. Tell them what it is. Mission Impossible. <laughs> That's right. We're doing the very first Mission Impossible which came out way back in 1996. Can you believe that?
0: I cannot. And we gave you a little Easter egg in our Shrek episode. We did. With the Shrek 2 <laughs> Mission Impossible theme if you heard that. I actually had never seen these films. But prior to us deciding to do this, Brian and I earlier this year decided we were going to start watching them. Mm. So I saw it probably in January sometime and I think we made it up to Mission Impossible 4 okay, maybe. So we haven't seen the last three yet.
1: I had seen all of the films as they came out. Okay. But it had been so long. Mm-hmm. I did a rewatch just recently on this original movie and then just kind of for context, I skipped all the way to Mission Impossible 6, The okay. Fallout out so that i could help myself remember how it evolved how like evolved. how did it change yeah. over the years so that helped a little bit because i will admit what it was wasn't the, very fresh in my mind what
0: was the big stunt in mission impossible six
1: the helicopter okay
0: haven't seen that mm-hmm. do you know what the big stunt was in five i'm trying to remember if i saw four or five which is the which is the one where he scaled the tower in dubai is that four or five? i think that's four okay that's as far as i got
1: okay okay yeah you know funny that you bring that up because i was going to ask you when we think about the mission Mission Impossible franchise, what comes immediately to everyone's mind? Well,
0: and... it's the wires. I think it's the wires first where he when the
1: where he drops. Okay. That's okay. what
0: I think of first. But the second thing I think of is the the tower
1: in Dubai. Yeah. So but but basically stunts. Yeah. Like that yeah. is that's I think the thing that is most prevalent in everybody's mind when you think about Mission Impossible mm-hmm. as a series. Mm-hmm. And Ashley and I were talking off mic just a second ago. We were saying that researching this was hard because all of the news recently has been about the fact that they are coming out with the next installment, Mission Impossible 7. Part one. Part one. I hate that. Yeah, I hate dead it. reckoning just, part just one. Just do
0: a big old long three hour movie. I don't like to wait for So much more part... money
1: when they I do it know, this way. I
0: know, I know, but I know, it's frustrating. I hope it doesn't end on a cliffhanger and then we have to wait four years for mm. it to finish and I won't care. <laughs> like the Hunger Games, you know, <laughs> Hunger Games part one and then by the time
1: Hunger Games part two came, I was like, I don't care anymore anymore like but you, whatever but you know what happens is everybody then pays the money to, to go back happened? and y- yes you you oh, rent it on yeah. amazon or netflix you rewatch part one right before part two i guess. see it is such a smart it's money making move money. Mm-hmm. well as i was saying though all the news recently has been about the fact that this new installment is coming out but as part of that they are saying that this stunt is supposed to be the biggest Ever. Have you heard about it?
0: No, I haven't. Eventually, Tom Cruise is just going to be like, I'm walking on the moon. (laughs) You know, it's what else can he do to top himself?
1: I don't know, but I'm going to say... He is pretty amazing. He is. Yeah. I watched this little featurette that they put out where it was basically the behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And they were showing you how he does this stunt, which is, here's the basic premise. He rides a motorcycle off of this huge cliff. You see him like in the air jumping off. And then as he separates from the motorcycle and all of a sudden, then he pulls a parachute and he lands. And it's in this really deep Canyon type place I mean it is It is scary You know us With our heights Yeah thing? and Grand uh-uh. Canyon mm-mm. Mm-mm. No would not Would not He
0: is fearless When people have Asked him before Like do you, Are you scared I think they ask him I'm casting my mind Back to I think It was an interview About his climbing The Dubai Tower And he's like I'm just not afraid He's just not afraid That is so what interesting What is that like
1: Tom What is it like To not
0: be afraid I know
1: Well he's so driven I suspect the man's A perfectionist For oh, sure you're, Oh for sure For sure But you're gonna hear From him in just a second Because on this same actually featurette that I just mentioned they talk a little bit about the stunt and what it took to prepare for it so first let me tell you it has been described by Paramount Pictures as being quote the most dangerous thing the film's ever attempted in a June 5th men's health article it called it the biggest stunt in the history of cinema
0: good heavens
1: so listen to just a few seconds of this little clip far and away the most dangerous thing we've ever attempted We've been working on this for years. We're gonna shoot it in Norway, and it'll be a motorcycle jump off a cliff into a base jump. I've wanted to do it since I was a little kid. It all comes down to one thing: the audience. There's a lot going into this stunt, so Tom put together this master plan to coordinate all of these experts in each of the particular disciplines involved to make this whole thing happen. John and I are jumping out of the helicopter, he's going to chase me, that's what we say to each other. Don't be careful, be confident, be confident. A year of base training, advanced skydive training, a lot of canopy skills, a lot of Tom Cruise, he's an amazing individual. You tell him something and he just locks it in. His sense of spatial awareness, he's the most aware person I've ever met. Lots of practice on stability and feetfall. Tracking with John and Miles in the air, doing lots of different positioning, like there were a two-man team in the air, coming on top of each other, below each other, backtracking, front tracking. You know, we've drilled and drilled and drilled. If you were watching it, Ashley, was it not insane to look at the cliff they were jumping from? Oh,
0: yes, yes.
1: Yeah, it's crazy.
0: Makes me wonder also why he hasn't been a director yet. He's already directing so many second unit things, you know, saying I'm going to do this and then they're going to do that. Maybe it's, I don't know.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that because since 1996 Mission Impossible, he has been a producer on Ah, many of these films. That's true. And as producer, he basically makes the decisions and does so much Mm -hmm. of the directing. In fact, that is something, we're going to get into that in a minute, but Brian De Palma is the actual director of the 1996 movie and he talked about... How many things? How many situations where it was Tom Cruise who made the call?
0: Made the call. Yeah, interesting.
1: But in this particular situation, I don't know if you caught all that. You had little blurbs from some of the people who were training Tom, and they talked about the fact that he was in training for this for something like a year to a year and a half. He logged something like 500 skydives, over 13,000 motocross jumps. Like there was so much training involved. He's the one who basically the gentleman mentioned at the beginning that he's the one who kind of mapped out yeah. how they were going to do this. And what did he
0: say? Don't be careful. Be confident. Mm-hmm.
1: That was what he Don't said. Don't be careful. <laughs> yeah. Be confident. be confident. I think his point was be prepared. Right. right be right, right, prepared. Right, right. And they actually filmed that stunt... On their very first day of filming. I guess they reckon if it hurts him, we can't do any more. Well, there's that. (laughs) But also, they said that even though he pulled it off successfully on his very first try, Tom thought that he could make it more impressive. That he could hang on to the bike a little longer before Mm -hmm. he separates and lets the motorcycle Mm -hmm. fall. And then he goes up and ultimately pulls his parachute. So... He wanted to try it again. He ends up landing that stunt six separate times, and then they just chose the best one to put in the movie. I think he just wanted to do it again. I think I think he's got some kind of extreme thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's an adrenaline junkie. Uh-huh. And also, I do believe that as somebody who understands what it takes to stay on top as an action hero and a celebrity and to keep your fame like mm-hmm. this is kind of his thing now mm-hmm. and I think that he takes a lot of pride in it mm-hmm. and he knows that this is where he gets a lot of mileage right that's what especially I as he's
0: getting older mm-hmm.
1: yeah because that was something that came up too is how many more movies does he have in him when will they either replace him or whatever right an insightful comment I thought about the franchise was in a Hollywood Insider article here's what it said the Mission Impossible films started off as heightened espionage flicks then gradually progressed into being blistering celebrations of full throttle action yeah Brian De Palma Brad Bird J.J. Abrams John Woo and now Christopher McQuarrie have all tried their hand with each lending a different take it's the franchise that used Tom Cruise's acting chops repurposed them for action hero stardom and now owes its success to his bravery. For real bravery. Yeah. So I thought that was a nice comment on the importance that these stunts Mm -hmm. and these action sequences within the series has made Mm -hmm. to the franchise. Mm -hmm. But when we think to the original movie, it had some stunts. It did. did Nothing like this. Nothing like this. We can see we're going back to the beginning. We Mm -hmm. are going back to when it really was a little bit more about the plot line and Mm -hmm. the espionage. Right. The spy. And the stunts were there, but they weren't as important. Mm -hmm. The train yeah. sequence was the stunt for that one. That was the biggest one, yeah. Although, it's interesting. People don't think about it as being a really big stunt, but Tom Cruise had a little something to say about it. Different scene in that movie. I thought this was kind of fun. So, before we wrap this little part on the stunts, let me share with you this little clip. It's from a Graham Norton show, a little talk show interview. It was back in 2018. He had actually brought on the stars of Mission Impossible Fallout. They were there to promote oh, the new movie. Is this where he
0: broke his leg or his ankle or something?
1: He did break his ankle in that movie, uh-huh. but they're not talking about okay, that. Okay. They're, this is actually going to be talking about a scene from the first movie. Oh, okay. Okay. Now,
0: normally, listen, on a, on a show like this, we would uh, show a clip of Mr. Impossible, but you haven't finished the film yet. Sorry. So, uh, <laughs> so we thought we'd make a snatch of one of our own. Now, uh, one of the most iconic stunts that you do, Tom, is that running away from something exploding. You're very good at it. Thank you very much. Uh, We've got some stills. There's that uh, running away from a van. One. Oh, that's the channel tunnel there. One, oh, yeah, uh, th- and this is the exploding fish tank. Oh, yeah. There you go. Joe, oh, I've just, noticed that's a very good move. Yes. I like that. <laughs> that's yeah. excellent. Yeah. That is very good. <laughs> so, and presumably
1: timing is key. Because oh, these are real, key. they're real explosions. They're real explosions so yes that one was particularly very crazy was this the one where no one properly told you the timing yeah the uh, the guy was over there and he said okay we're gonna go on three and he started going three two one i said whoa 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 stop (laughs) stop (laughs) and i was uh, waiting you know we have an explosions gonna go in my head and he said uh, i said you just said on three he said well i meant three well, what does that mean? <laughs> going to go. I said just everyone. Please. It was like two in the morning, and they're setting it up. And there's broken. There's glass, and just tons of water. And he said, "Well, I'm gonna to three, two, one. And I said, "Then I do I go then, or do I go? Do I go on one? Like when do I go? <laughs> do I go on one? Are you gonna push the button? Is it gonna explode on one?
0: Or is it, it was, three, two, know, one, and then?" And kind he
1: of looked at me like, "I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> sure. Around then no. <laughs> When you hear the explosion, just go. You really ought to run because it's very dangerous. Yes, yeah. dangerous. <laughs> you really ought to run. I thought that was fun, first of all, that to hear fun. him talk about it. But I think it also brings out the point that we're sitting here talking about what they're calling the most dangerous stunts in cinematic history. And think about the danger involved right. with some of the ones that they consider, right. you know, the small lesser ones, ones yeah. the small ones. Yeah. Just, just go. I don't know. Yeah, just just, go. Go. just you know, go. Hey, you
0: just know. Just do your talk. Cruise down.
1: thing. <laughs> all right. So going back to the beginning so do you remember what mission impossible was based on a tv show right it was yes have you ever seen any clips from that i have not okay Mm -hmm. yeah it was it was before before your time for sure (laughs) before my time too it started in 1966 wow yeah it was it it american or british it was american okay it was on cbs and it actually ran from 66 to 73 here is a nice little description of the show from a screen rant article i found in fact i'll let you read it if you don't mind
0: It says, while it's not as well known today, the original Mission Impossible TV series was once a national phenomenon, with over 170 episodes running from the fall of 1966 to the spring of 1973. That's a lot of episodes in a Mm -hmm. short amount of time. On CBS, Mission Impossible won eight Emmy Awards and three Golden Globes, including Best Television Series, Drama, in 1968. Starring the likes of Martin Landau, Barbara Bain, Greg Morris, and Peter Lupus, the show followed the espionage activities of the impossible Missions Force, a top-secret government agency also referred to as the IMF, which stands for Impossible Missions Force. An anthology series, each episode began with its leader, Jim Phelps, played by Peter Graves, selecting from a crop of specifically talented spies, one of which was almost always a guest star for an outlined international mission.
1: Yeah, I didn't watch that. I watched Get Smart. (laughs) Oh,
0: Get Smart. (laughs) That was such a
1: good show. We should do something on that. Yeah. A few extra details from IMDB, who also gave a summary, of course they mentioned that quite often the episodes would involve unmasking criminals mm-hmm. or rescuing hostages and they said quote one thing is vital on an impossible mission the mission must be carried out in entire secrecy often relying on high tech equipment and elaborate deceptions mm-hmm. and I like that IMDB brought that out because I think that is a critical part of it and that is something that we saw within the Mission Impossible we movies. We did. There
0: was one I think it was the second one with Sandy Newton where they were pulling masks off all the time it was just mask upon mask and nobody was who they said they were mm-hmm. so that was they really leaned into the masks on, on that show
1: and i love the mask i do think that that you is do. such a great it's gimmick funny. do you not like it it was
0: just at one point i liked it
1: but then i was like good grief guys is anybody <laughs> who they say they are yeah i mean that's Adds that whole layer of suspense and right. uncertainty. Right, like right. you talk about mystery and mm-hmm. and wondering, mm-hmm. you know, that really does it to you. Side note, by the way, this TV show, it was by Desi Lou Productions. Ah, Desi Lou. Cool? Yeah. Cool. Well, this is the inspiration, of course, for this movie franchise and, and this first film, because I don't think when they made the first film that they thought they were going to have a series. I think Ooh. they were just trying to make a great first film. Interesting. Like, yeah. But sadly, several actors from this original TV series were. Were very vocal in saying that they disliked the film really? when it came out. Why? Oh yes well hang on a second I'm going to ask you to guess. Here are a few details that may help you. Supposedly Greg Morris who played the tech guru Barney Collier throughout that TV show was reportedly so disgusted by something that happened in the plot that he walked out of the theater before the movie even ended okay. and Peter Graves who played Jim Phelps for most of the run of the TV series He actually took over the role in the second season, but he supposedly turned down the chance to do a cameo in that movie because he didn't approve of something in the storyline. So take a guess why these guys would not have liked it. Okay. Jim
0: Phelps is that the character played by John Voight? So he would not have liked it because he was the bad guy.
1: One hundred percent. And
0: then so the guy who was the techie was he Emilio Estevez's character?
1: No, but no. it's the same thing. He he did not approve of the twist where he they took killed. the most beloved character. Like this was Jim Phelps was their leader. He was like one of the team members yeah. who was so yeah. beloved and honorable and heroic and good, and made him evil. And they they made him a double agent. Sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. And when I was watching Mission Impossible, I didn't know who was the bad guy, but I figured out that he was the bad guy in that first in that first scene.
1: And I have a note to ask you how, because you, you told me you figured it out. Yeah, how did you figure it out so quickly? Deduction, just
0: deducing. And I again, it's been since January since I saw it. I should have re rewatched it but I do believe that it was just giving us the clues where he was looking at something it was from his point of view and then Emilio when he gets smushed in the elevator right he gets mm-hmm. smushed there was just things that were going on and the fact that he had a very young and very beautiful wife I thought this is going to be a love interest for Tom there's going to be some kind of triangle here he's going to be jealous and when Kristen Scott Thomas's character got stabbed there was just something going on and it was confirmed when Jim says oh I can't see something and we just saw it from his point of view. I thought mm-hmm. he's lying. Mm-hmm. He's lying. Yeah. yeah. But I had an inkling that he was the bad guy in that very first thing because he was all by himself in that room and it just didn't make sense. There were things that felt off.
1: Yeah. Which it's funny because I think people like us who were watching that movie without a background in the original TV series. Yeah. I mean, I didn't pick up on it but you did. But my point is I think if you were coming into it kind of cold anything can go, right? right. I mean, anything's fair game. Right. But I can see where people who, who felt that the TV series was Beloved that would be upsetting yeah who knew the characters that would not be something that they would expect because Jim Phelps was established I think for them yeah I can understand that then interesting interesting although they obviously made a huge turn (laughs) with their character choices from the original TV series they did keep several elements such as the song the self-destructing message Mm -hmm. some of their directives like your mission Jim should Should you you choose choose to to accept it?" it and the other directive as always should you or any member of your- We will your... disavow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you should be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow all knowledge of your actions. So some of the elements were there, which of course people did appreciate the nostalgia factor.
0: I wonder what would have happened if you had just been like, no thanks. Should you choose to accept it?
1: Okay, no thanks. I wondered that too. Like, like are you off the team? Yeah. It's like, okay, fine. You can you can decide not to do this, but yeah. you're gone. You're gone. Yeah. Too bad. Well, here's how Tom Cruise reportedly became involved. This was from a 2023 movie web article by Stephanie Wattell and she actually was pulling from an interview that he gave on the the event of the movie's 25th anniversary first her opinion was she said quote the film has no greater tension than its most famous scene the CIA vault break-in yeah Ethan infiltrates a vault Rafifi style I looked up Rafifi do you know what that is I assume dangling from wires no what Rafifi was a mid-1950s heist movie that was supposed to have been groundbreaking oh. for its technicality and also because it had this really really long safe cracking sequence with absolutely no dialogue oh. or music which was really really suspenseful oh. so they were talking about imitating what they did in that scene interesting
0: yes there is no music it is all just breathing and like freak it, out
1: and it's so suspenseful mm-hmm. but to finish her quote she said in ethan infiltrates a vault rafifi style by slowly dropping down on a cable in complete silence The vault itself is equipped to trip an alarm at any change in temperature, pressure on the floors, or sound above a whisper. Essentially, it's a mission that's virtually impossible for any human to pull off except Ethan. So, the fun thing is... Brian De Palma convinced Tom Cruise to, to do it to do this film.
0: He knew that guy. He said, Hey guy who loves stunts, how about this?
1: <laughs> Here's a quote from Tom Cruise. Again, this came from Stephanie Waddle's article. And then we came up with the idea of us having to go into the CIA. De Palma came up with that idea like Rafifi and I remember when he came to me with that idea I was actually in Japan and it was an early day of phones and I remember I was stuck in a traffic jam on my way to a premiere. I'll never forget this. De Palma was like I gotta talk to you and he pitched me the whole CIA scene on the phone when I'm in the back of a car in Japan (laughs) and I just went okay. This movie's really cool. This guy is brilliant, you know? This was a phenomenal idea. Mm-hmm. So, according... and that decision has influenced how many years of his life? And how much money? Oh, and how yeah. many. It's funny when you think about the commitment. Like, it's not just committing to movies. How much time and effort has he committed to all the training to right, do these stunts? Right. And yeah, the preparation for this. Well, anyway, the article goes on to say that at the time that Tom Cruise had that conversation with Brian De Palma, the movie plot line and the characters weren't even fully fleshed out yet. Mm but of course it was enough to convince him to sign on and as you said this is what led to everything else. One other comment about that scene was they've mentioned, they consider it to be groundbreaking. They say it's on par with the Matrix rooftop bullet sequence and they brought up how many times you see it parodied or you know kind of copied in movies and TV shows. In pop culture you sure do. Yeah. So let's talk about that scene for just a moment. Mm -hmm. I mean do you were you impressed by it? I was. Yeah. I
0: was I was very impressed with the with the oh i was impressed by the whole thing the stamina Mm -hmm. the strength yes the ability he he's just he knows what he's doing he's impressive
1: yeah yeah that was something in one of those featurettes i don't know if it was the director or somebody else who commented on the incredible muscle control it took from tom to do that and also when they kept lowering him so fast he was off kilter and several times his head would would bump the floor and he's the one who came up with the idea to put coins in his shoes to counterbalance himself (gasps) so that he could get his balance when he went down there i
0: Wouldn't even have thought of that account. I I know,
1: right? Wow! But yeah, such such intentionality. Why don't we take a break before we go on? Okay. Your mission,
0: should you choose to accept it, is to go to YouTube or your favorite podcast app, such as Apple Podcast or Google Podcast.
1: Then search "Scandal Water Podcast," and when you see the icon with your tea drinking besties appear. Hit the subscribe or follow button.
0: No stunts, masks, or secret identities required. Just a satisfactory
1: mission mission accomplished. accomplished. All right, we are back. So as we've said, Mission Impossible came out in nineteen ninety-six and in a one-sentence summary, in the franchise's first installment, Ethan Hunt must go on the run after a disastrous operation reveals the presence of a mole in his organization. And of course they think it's him or Oh yeah. yeah they Kitt- always think it's him. Right, yeah. Kittredge in particular is the bad guy, I think, in this who kind of comes after him. Mm-hmm. Well, the other bad guy, the besides, other bad guy. <laughs> besides besides the one his who's leader. really done it. Right. So Paramount Pictures was the company who put it out and it was produced by Tom Cruise and Paula Wagner directed by as we've now said multiple times Brian De Palma now a big deal was made about the fact that Brian De Palma directed this first movie because it's very different every single director had a different different style Mm -hmm. and that was something Tom Cruise was very adamant about as a producer he was like I want every director to take their own approach and their own style interesting so it doesn't come off as the same thing every time like even this last gentleman I think his name is Christopher McQuarrie, I'm calling that off the top of my head, he has directed before and they said, okay, we'll change your style. Like he said, I'd like to change my style. Okay. They are very open to different approaches, different mm-hmm. directing styles. But everybody, I think, agrees that Brian De Palma's may have been the most unique. Really? Because... After him, it turned into a kind of action hero. True. And That's he's, true. he was the one who came at it more from the espionage film. Mm-hmm. At least I think we all agree towards the end of the movie, it goes into action hero once mm-hmm. we hit kind of that train mm-hmm. sequence. But a lot of the beginning part is different. So I was going to ask you, you probably from memory, or maybe you have some notes. Do you remember anything about Brian De Palma's directing style in this movie that struck you?
0: I had originally thought it was the same person that did Silence of the Lambs because there was a lot of close-ups mm-hmm. and there was a lot of face acting so it's not the same person that did Silence of the Lambs so that's that's kind of what I noticed is there and again from memory from January I think mm-hmm. there was not a lot of wide shots was there a lot of close-ups on the faces
1: there um, were and there were a lot of perspective angles like uh-huh, either POV. yeah where you would you would take the perspective of the actor uh-huh. or it would be a yes a close-up the camera angles were huge perspective was huge Okay, that was actually something I because I did re-watch it just recently yeah. so that was one of my notes. Okay. A couple of other things that I noted, I literally wrote down stylized. It mm. was a little noirish. Like, for example, you brought up the chemistry between Claire, the character Claire, wife to Jim Phelps, right. and Ethan Hunt. Right. From the very beginning, in that opening scene, you have within their agent roles they are playing this little scene where she is supposed to have been I think a prostitute and she's they think you think she's dead right and Tom Cruise is trying to get this other person to give him important information and then ultimately once he gives up the information they quickly give her a shot or something to try to revive her and they take that guy out right but even in that their initial interaction with each other the way he's trying to revive her Mm -hmm. you you, think they're a couple mm -hmm. like every scene if you go back and look at it every time Tom Tom Cruise and the actress I think her first name is Emanuela maybe every time the two of them are in a scene together it is it is almost noir like you Mm -hmm. feel like they they have them very close Mm -hmm. with their talking Mm -hmm. the angles the colors it's very interesting and
0: no wonder John Voight was super jealous like look at him Mm -hmm, for
1: sure for sure and the other thing I will say I don't know if this was his choice or if this was just part of the script itself but that was the most amazing not the little opening clip right before the mission impossible song but the first big scene their first mission that went bad yes yeah that was one of the best openings to a suspense movie that i've seen i mean i thought it was beautiful
0: i don't think i have been that stressed well i was very stressed watching it and it reminded me of being stressed watching the dark knight the opening scene of the dark Knight with the joker mm. and the heist at the bank i would that music i was so stressed out watching mm-hmm. that because you didn't know what was going to happen yeah. what's going to happen next
1: right you're just on the edge of your seat yep. part of it for me was remembering that this was 1996 mm-hmm. and the idea that you had famous people you know you do that as an these... audience member you're like oh these are famous well-known actors they're going to be important to this whole film they nope. weren't afraid to kill them all psycho. like they like took psycho them way. all out yep. and Janet it Lee shocks style. you yep. yes so the fact that it takes all your expectations away. You have right. no idea what's going to happen. Everything's up for grabs. It's... You, Did they
0: kill the entire team?
1: Except for Claire. Right. That also tells you something. Claire survived. Mm-hmm. But then she had a reason to survive because she explains that she... He saw her in the car with the other operative. I believe her name was Hannah. And she says she had gotten out to go check on something.
0: That's another clue uh-huh. I thought. Yeah. Okay. You survive and you happen to be the the husband and the wife survive. That's a little...
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suspected her, which uh, I'm sure I was supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. but amazing opening. Like, to be honest, the first part of the movie I felt was stronger than the latter part mm. of it. So you preferred but...
0: the espionage to the action, maybe?
1: I think I did. Mm. And I also think just in terms of it hanging together, like the tightness of the plot. Mm -hmm. I I felt like the opening was a little tighter. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the whole film. Mm -hmm. I really liked it, but I did think it was a little stronger in the beginning. Well, that same article that I've now referenced a few times had another comment about this. I thought this was insightful too, so I'll read her quote. Unlike later installments in the franchise that employ every manner of ultra-sophisticated technology and jaw-dropping stunts from the world's highest peaks, the first film is practically the opposite, with With many of De Palma's trademarks, such as the quieter, more dramatic, noir-esque vibe and abundance of Dutch angle shots, the gradual cat-and-mouse ploy against Ethan and his team plays out with consistent tension.
0: Yeah. Would you agree with that? I would.
1: Henry Cherney, who plays Eugene Kitteridge, said on one of those behind the scenes little interviews that Brian De Palma has superb expertise at creating tension and a different article commented that he fills his films with beautiful classic looking cross dissolves and sumptuous color and talks about how he felt the same way we did this person that the first sequence is breathtaking Mm -hmm. when it takes its time to build suspense right yeah the cast we've already said Henry Cherney plays Eugene Kittridge. an additional note about him him is that while he is super important in movie number one, he kind of disappears from the rest of the series. But he's coming back.
0: He is. And, See, I don't yes. even. Who was he in the first
1: one? He was the head of the IMF. Okay. And the one who basically was after Tom Cruise's oh, character, Ethan okay. Hunt. He's okay, the one okay. who accused him of being the mole. Okay. Yeah. John Voight starred as Jim Phelps. We've already said that.
0: He's not coming back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the French actress Emmanuelle Bert was the one who played Claire. Also not coming back. Right. <laughs> (laughs) Kristen Scott Thomas you've already said she played agent Sarah Davies a Lithuanian actress Ingeborga Daknutet, played the agent Hannah Williams and Emilio Estevez played an uncredited role as Jack Harmon there's a little story here so Emilio Estevez gave some interviews recently because you know of all this press around the upcoming you know sequel so he says that in terms of getting involved with the first one, here's his quote. The way Tom had explained it, he said, look, I'd love for you to come and join the cast the whole opening number where everybody gets wiped out. It's going to be a lot of well-known people and all of them are going to go uncredited and it's really going to set up the level of peril for Ethan. And I said, I'm in. You don't Mm. have to ask me twice. I'm in. Mm. And then afterwards, obviously the movie's a giant hit. Right. (laughs) So Emilio goes on to say that Tom told him that he was so sorry that he killed him off because he really wished he would have been able to bring him back in the next one and probably, you know, who knows how many but more he it, would have appeared in. Mm-hmm. But he he told him he was really sorry he'd killed off his character. And it was funny because Emilio shared his thinking, which was, I thought you could have, in terms of bringing him back, he meant, because with all the masks, right?
0: <laughs> right? Right, right, right. Why twin not? Brother. Why brother. I got not? a twin brother. You know, you know. Peel
1: off the face. Yeah. Jack Harmon didn't really die. <laughs> yeah. So after the team is killed out, obviously we have a few other cast members who are brought in. Ving Rhames plays. The I compu- liked him. I know. Luther Stickle. He is the only actor other than Tom Cruise who has appeared in all the Mission Impossible movies. And
0: I had to, when we were watching them, I had to look ahead and say, is Bing Rames in the cast? <laughs> is he in the next one? So I would know he did survive. Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: you got detached to I him. did. Yeah. He apparently only did a very small cameo for the 2011 Ghost Protocol, but they made sure he was at least in there. Good. Yeah. And then Jean Reno played the former IMF agent Franz Krieger.
0: I also like him.
1: Yeah, I do too. He's a good actor. Mm-hmm.
0: He's very good in the movie Fringe Kiss with Meg Ryan and Kevin Kline haven't seen it. Oh, goodness. We have to have a
1: movie day. We do. Where (laughs) you see all these,
0: like, Sabrina and French Kiss and all those lovely
1: films. It sounds like maybe we should do that, like, in January and then then, tie it into our February Valentine's. So, locations the film was actually shot primarily in Prague and with some of it happening in London. But Brian De Palma commented in an interview how lucky they were to get to film in Prague. And he pointed out, you know, remember, this is 1996. He said they were one of the first big Hollywood movies that was actually set and filmed in contemporary Prague. And he talked about the fact that, you know, with setting, having to create a setting, it's so much work, but how fortunate you are when you basically Can like go on have it. Yeah. yeah. You, when it's right there, it's already created for you. Mm-hmm. Like what a gift that that is. It is writing was a challenge. IMDb credits the story creators as David Kep and Stephen Zalian and the screenplay writers as David Kep and Robert Town. There was a lot of writing and rewriting, and and sometimes they didn't like what this guy was doing, so they'd have somebody else writing mm-hmm. over here, and it was kind of crazy, but it was kind of fun. I found this little clip from the screenwriter Robert Town, where he comments briefly about revising the script. So I'm gonna let you hear. This is like one minute okay. from him.
0: And Brian came up with a story with us, and, uh, and then we sat down with David Kep. And then David Kep went off to direct a movie, and then Bob Town uh, came in. Fortunately, for me at least, and I, I guess
1: ultimately for the film, what happened was that the first thing that they shot were the, was the blue screen stuff on the train and everything else. And uh, as that was going on, Tom and I would go over the scenes that were to be shot, and I would rewrite them. In the middle of the night, and oh, uh, and sometimes even between takes. Oh my gosh! See, there's no modem access to the mainframe, which means I'd have to be physically at the terminal. Luther. It. it's much worse than you think. <laughs> Robert has a, a an extraordinary ability to uh, to see the layers of something, the complexity of something. He he can always come up with that one line of dialogue that makes you yeah. wonder what is really going on. You can understand. You're very upset, Kittridge. You've never seen them.
0: Oh, that's Kittridge. Okay. But see how they're tilted in the close-ups. That reminded me of Silence of the Lambs.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I love that line, Kittridge. You've never, never seen, seen me upset. upset. <laughs> He had a great look on his face, too. But how interesting. I thought of Jaws mm-hmm. a little bit. Yes, all of the, the rewriting, rewriting the night before. Ooh, sometimes between, between tanks, takes, the stress Goodness. level. Talk about ulcers. I don't think Yes, could... look, I'm
0: already holding oh. my stomach in solidarity with them. Yeah,
1: Goodness. Could not do that job. Special effects. I mean, obviously, they were all over the place, but I just kind of pulled out. We've already identified it as what we felt was the biggest stunt sequence. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of trivia about the train and that helicopter action sequence that happens towards the end of the film. Okay. It was really, really complicated. And honestly, I can't say it any better than this guy, John Knoll, who was the visual effects supervisor. He was another member of the team who, you know, obviously put this movie together. He and Tom Cruise speak briefly about that sequence. So I'm just going to let you listen to them. The the main sequence that we're working on is the the, uh, train and helicopter in the the channel tunnel
0: sequence. Consists of 152 shots for a total running time of seven minutes and 20 seconds. Behind this we have storyboards of the whole sequence to help us understand
1: what we're doing. Uh, these evolved from simple animatics to help the, the director visualize the action to um, more sophisticated storyboards that were done once we started getting more of the details in place. It helps us to maintain our continuity and to make sure that, uh, that the story is progressing as it needs to. This train is traveling at speeds upwards of 200 miles per hour with Tom Cruise on top of the train. You know, I mean, when we are on the train, you really had to hang on to the train. And uh, I think it added a, a wonderful reality to the film people have seen helicopters before and they've seen tunnels before but what we're giving Brian the ability to do here is to tell the story the way
0: he wants to we're giving him the ability to create an action that is that has never been possible you know watching that one thing that I really admire about Tom is he is not afraid to let himself look like he's in the elements mm-hmm. you know he's not afraid to look like he's being hit by 200 mile an hour winds you know I'm, it misshapes your face mm-hmm. and even in the Maverick movie the stuff that it naturally does to your face that's one of the reasons why he wants to do these stunts is he wants it to look authentic yes
1: yes i mean it's not fun if it's not believable right right i mean you have to be in it with him so that sequence which you heard them say was i think what seven and a half minutes long Mm -hmm. it took an actual train they did some of it with tom kind of hanging on the train so that they could get those shots they had to use some sets they had to use some miniatures they had to use blue screen and they had to use cgi provided by industrial Industrial light and magic. magic yes like this is what it takes to make a seven minute film it is crazy and that same gentleman John Knoll the supervisor of the visual effects he shared a little bit more he talked about the fact that you're always trying to find the balance between making stunts very impressive while also making them believable as we've said mm-hmm. and so here's a cute little story he said that at one point he had to speak up to the director Brian De Palma to say hey you know I don't really think Ethan Hunt should be shown hanging horizontally off the side of the train because gravity would not allow for that Mm. and here's his quote that explains the the response he got from De Palma I was trying to explain well I think he should be at a bit of an angle because if you think about the vector math here the gravity's pulling him this way and then the air drag is pushing him this way you wouldn't get completely horizontal and Brian didn't have a lot of patience for that kind of stuff (laughs) he said we're making a movie this is not a physics lesson get a life (laughs)
0: You know, that reminds me of when Steven Spielberg is like, who cares that the T-Rex couldn't have climbed up that cliff? It's a movie. right? They'll forgive it.
1: They will. The audience will. is with you.
0: And then, but then they'll go to this little nuance, itty bitty stuff. And then other stuff, they're like, I don't care. Yeah. It's just weird.
1: It's it's kind of like their vision. What uh-huh. do they want? What, uh-huh. what do they think will get the most impact? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're going to go for it. Well, in terms of how the movie was received. The reviews were actually a little mixed. Really? I mean, now, the reviews. It okay. was wildly popular okay. in terms of I money. It must yes. have been really popular was, or we yeah.
0: wouldn't have seven more.
1: Exactly. But the reviews were a little mixed. Remember, we talked about the original oh, yeah, yeah. TV yeah. actors. Martin Landau was one of those. He was the guy who had played role in hand in the original TV series. And he said of this film, quote, it was basically an action-adventure movie and not mission. Mission was a mind game. The ideal mission was getting in and getting out without anyone ever knowing we were there so the whole texture changed yeah so his issue was it was not the essence Mm -hmm. of the original series Mm -hmm. but that's that's kind of a different issue i think rolling stone magazine said this when this action hit first came out fans of the original series were upset that the film underplayed the whole cooperation between teammates with different skills thing yeah focusing instead on the heroics of the lone Cruz character. Fair enough, but what a movie. Brian De Palma delivers an atmospheric Cold War thriller that turns into a North by Northwest style adventure before transforming into a go-for-broke action spectacle. Meanwhile, Cruz becomes a bona fide action hero here. Previously, most of his action movies had simply asked him to control large, powerful vehicles. Watch the justly celebrated, wordless Pentagon break-in sequence. What makes it work- so well is the subtle slapstick Cruise brings to being suspended in air. Yeah. I thought that was a nice little review to it re- talk that about. That really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. To
0: acknowledge it, to say fair enough but this is an amazing movie.
1: Yeah. So it was popular with audiences. It was produced on a budget of only 80 million, but it grossed um, 457.7 million worldwide. It obviously paved the way for all those sequels that mm-hmm. we've talked about. And it didn't win awards. It was not an award-winning film. However, an interesting note is that they asked U2's bassist, Adam Clayton, and their drummer, Larry Mullen Jr., to create a remix of the Mission Impossible theme song, and they did, and it reached in the top 10 on the charts. It's cool. It's very Mm -hmm. catchy. Yeah. Armchair psychologist. So for our armchair, Ashley, I thought I would just kind of open the floor if you have any other thoughts about, you know, the franchise in general. Or I did think it was an interesting point, the fact that they said it moved from basically something that was supposed to be kind of a spy espionage mm-hmm. film to now the series is really just this big action adventure type thing mm-hmm. with Tom Cruise as mm-hmm. the clear hero. Mm-hmm. Either of those topics, whatever you would like to jump in on
0: well let's think about it so it started off as espionage well it started off as a television show that seems like we neither one of us have seen it but from what we're inferring it was a group effort mm-hmm. so they've taken this group effort get in get out don't be noticed and they kind of started that way but they already they morphed it or turned it on its head into something where okay that whole team got killed Mm-hmm. so now we are clearly making it this is just about ethan hunt or tom cruise and he got to be an action hero and then i think with the wires and then with the train and helicopter when they started to do another one they probably it naturally evolved into well how can we top
1: this right always
0: yeah and uh again the second one is the second one the one where he had longer hair okay i can't remember i'm not going to get the order correct but there was a second one of the next ones they focus on the mask mm-hmm. and then he did yeah. have teammates and then eventually he Gets joined by Simon Pegg. Yes. And it sort of goes back into now we're a team and we're all working together. So I believe the first couple kind of put him by himself. And now they're kind of morphing back into, I don't know. I haven't seen the last, of course, three or last three films. But it seemed like they were leaning more into, look, he does have teammates. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking it may have naturally gone into how can we top? You know, you've got the one stunt per film. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then it kind of became more of the focus. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly... I see their point, because mm-hmm. even in those later films, again, remember, it's been a long time for me, but I did rewatch Fallout. And in Fallout, his teammates are not equals. I wouldn't say it's like, he's we're going He's leader? He's, they're kind of his sidekicks or his mm-hmm. buddies who support him, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Like, the, they definitely have their strings, but he's still the star. Mm-hmm. It's kind of clear, right? It's not, in theater, you would call it ensemble. I don't think right. it's an ensemble type piece. Right. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that Tom Cruise has done an excellent job of being the action hero and doing doing those stunts and he's taken it very seriously and I think he's worn his mantle well. Mm -hmm. You know, he's been a great leader. But did I enjoy the even though he was still the lead, did I enjoy the espionage cat and mouse part of the first movie? Mm -hmm. I absolutely did. Mm -hmm. I really liked that team going out and seeing this one is now coming up to do this part of it. And, and you know, it was fun. It I like, really was fun. It kind of reminded me of a heist movie. Yes. I like, yes. I
0: really like heist movies. Yes. I think they're fun.
1: I like the intelligence of them. Yeah. And even after he lost his team, I felt... That, I don't know why I associate it with spy movies, but I do. That idea, I I think part of it's the perspective, right? Like instead of most movies where you just sit back as an audience member and you just watch it, Mm -hmm. because this kept taking us into perspective, we would literally see Tom Cruise putting the clues together and you, if you had not already gone Mm -hmm. there yourself, with him, you're going... (gasps) yes that's how he did it or this is how i know this and like you were brought into the clues Mm -hmm. and figuring things out also things like when tom cruise goes back to his room after his team has been destroyed and he realizes kittredge is now after him he breaks the glass he puts it outside his door yeah and you're smarts yeah the yes you you sit there and you go why is he doing that oh yeah and just the intelligence all the different moves that you felt that you were part of like you were you were being trusted as an audience member to think along with them along with him
0: do we know if this last installment is the last installment are they going to keep making these indefinitely
1: i do not know i did not i did not dig into that i will tell you i saw like a few articles that speculated well you know tom is 60 now how many Mm -hmm. more of these is he going to do but it did not say definitively this is the end or at least i didn't see that
0: i because i'm wondering if a way they could continue to do them is at some point you get so spectacular with the stunts you cannot top it I made the joke like I'm gonna be on the moon you can't do anything else so I wonder if a way to keep doing it is once he once he decides that he has aged out of doing stunts safely if you strip it all away and go back to your roots of being the psychological thriller and what if he's the leader of the he's a Jim Phelps character and he's the one leading the team but it's his intelligence mm-hmm. that gets them through and that yeah. can be the cat and mouse. Stuff, yeah, that would be fun, be interesting, but it would be a big hit to his ego because I bet he really wants to be the one doing these stunts. So I would almost think he'd say, Well, no stunts, nobody can do any
1: stunts if I can't do it. Nobody (laughs) can do it, it's over, it's 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 just over.
0: (laughs) Or, like I said, strip the stunt, and we're not doing them anymore, we're just going to make it psychological this time.
1: But on the other hand, I think. I, I'm always conscious of this. I think we have to be careful about ageism. Like, who says he's sure. too old to do stunts right. when he hits some certain Look at number? Ford. Right. Ford's I mean, eighty. Yeah. I I think he may. He That's seems very fit, and he may be yeah. ready to continue doing this for the next twenty years. Who right. Knows? That's why I
0: said it has to be Tom that decides. I because he seems to, as crazy as he is, as far as this crazy stunt work, it seems like he also understands his own limitations, which mm-hmm. he thinks he has none. But <laughs> he he may eventually be like, oh, you know what? I now feel like I cannot do this safely Mm -hmm. so when he decides
1: you know I'm piggybacking on that just a tiny bit this is just a little I don't know trivia piece but when we were watching fallout and tom cruise was doing those huge leaps from one building to the other we were kind of like in every action movie you have to suspend disbelief right we was like oh this is so crazy because if you didn't look down ahead of time how would you know how big the gap is but you know you're caught up in it you're enjoying it it's wonderful but we were kind of commenting on that and and kirk said something like one miscalculated leap and you're done and about that time in the movie was where tom cruise hits and you know and it has to kind of scramble up and everything and i found out afterwards He did break his ankle. I don't know where it happened, but it was in those, it was in that sequence where he was jumping. Well, in the same article, it said they thought he was going to be out for so long because of this broken ankle. And then when he came back, you know, they were going to have to rework some things because he wouldn't be able to do some of the stunts or some of the, you know, physical things that were set up for him. And they said, yeah, he had to take a break and heal. But when he came back, it was much sooner than expected. And he went straight back into doing his sprints and his stunts. So the man is determined. Yeah. He is physically fit yeah and I think he's serious about when he makes a a commitment or sets a goal he's gonna do it he's gonna do it well then it seems like we we definitely want to include Tom Cruise Mm -hmm. in our in our cheers and our shout out and of course all the other people that were associated with that first 1996 Mission Impossible from Brian De Palma to the other actors who were part of that cast yeah to the cgi people i mean everybody the stunt the stunt people who prepared them just big cheers to everyone part of mission impossible one cheers to you cheers If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website,
0: www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can Join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast.
1: This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special
0: thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandal Water theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork. And Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support.
1: As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the hosts during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.